Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. We started a new series last week called uh, One Another. And uh, I explained a little bit of where, and I try to do this at the beginning of every series, and, uh, but many of you weren't here, and our statistics tell us that people, uh, because of work and other issues, are here, maybe one in three. So I just want to remind you about why we're, we are going in this. And I think even as we look at what's happening in our nation right now, uh, it's a good time to remind us of how important it is to live in love together, to work together, to be a people that live as one another, not as others, me and you and us and them, but one another. Uh, last summer, I, I began to be troubled by the, the general tone of the, of the discourse in our culture, uh, both in our political, uh, as we wound up towards uh, our election, which happened this past fall, uh, that began it, and and I was troubled by, uh, and increasingly troubled by the the, the tone and the, the venom of the political discourse that is in there. Has anybody else noticed that? Just wave at me or something. Oh, there we go. We've noticed it. In our social media age, though, it's very easy to easy to participate in the same kind of thing from the sidelines where once we might have thought things about politicians that are not of our stripe, now we say them on social media or post memes about people to mock them. And I know it's not you, it's probably somebody beside you, but don't worry, we'll get to them soon. But you know what, it's not just a political problem, it's also a church problem. Saw this past fall as well, and that where some prominent male uh, pastors and leaders openly mocking women pastors, not for the theology that they are preaching, but simply because of the gender they are. In our city, we see the statistics again and again that Van Metro Vancouver is one of the loneliest places uh, in North America, if not the world, where we live in isolationism. We see as well within our culture great confusion and, and, and gender dysphoria being pushed to the forefront of our culture as we struggle with finding identity and finding our space and our place in our culture. In families, we struggle to stay together. How many of you are encouraged so far? Uh, we struggle to stay together with divorce, and, and parenting is more difficult probably than it's ever been with the constant 24-7 connection to peer groups that may be less than positive, to uh, incessant pornography, and to all the all of that the social media world of comparison and all that that, that brings into the whole picture. And then for singles and, and people that are outside of marriage, there's this continuous continual challenge of, of how to find someone where sexting, sexting becomes normal and an expected part of beginning a relationship, or we find our person through apps that are dedicated to hooking up with someone, and we increasingly uh, make a commodity of sex, and people are left wanting the very thing that we all want, which is connection and love. 
This week in our country, you've seen it over the last couple of weeks, unless you've been away or uh, in, in under a rock somewhere, as we've seen uh, our pipeline, a pipeline protest, an indigenous rights protest, and all kinds of different things. And, and I'm not here to debate the merits of either side. I'm simply to say uh, I am concerned, and I think we all should be concerned, about the level of discourse in our culture that is toxic, the way that we speak about people who disagree with us, the way that we talk about uh, and believe that someone who disagrees with me is not someone I disagree with, but is someone actually that becomes my enemy. It's concerning time in our culture. It's a concerning time in our culture. And in all of that, we find families and relationships and individuals being crushed under the incessant weight of negativity, of toxicity, and uh, just absolutely toxic. I don't know what other word to use right now. And we find in our culture less connection than we ever have, which leads to all, all this leading to increasing levels of anxiety, increasing levels of depression, increasing levels of discouragement, increasing levels of isolationism, increasing levels of anything negative is not getting better. It's getting worse in our culture. And it caused me to wonder last summer and to pray about and yes, I think about the halfway through the next year when I'm, when I'm preparing and, and asking God to help us and lead us and what to preach in and what to lean into because I actually believe that the church is, should not be part of the problem but should be part of the answer for the culture. That instead of following culture, we could lead culture in showing that there is another way and showing that there's a better way and showing that people that are different can still walk together and showing that people that don't always see eye to eye can still link arms and say, I'm with you and I'm for you. Why could there not be that way? Jesus is the one who challenged us in this. We'll get there in a moment, but when I, when I sit in this room and I think, and if you look around the room, this is unusual. In fact, it's almost a miracle right now when there's people from many, many different nations of the world sitting together in the same room. There are people of different cultural backgrounds sitting together in the same room, different age groups sitting in the same room. It's, a, it's actually incredibly powerful. Different birth order issues, people who, who wish that we sang hymns and people who hope that we never do. And some of you are wondering, what's a hymn? Is it hymn or hymn? Like, I don't know. Political differences, there are people that vote differently in the room. Some of you vote for no one. Some of you hope that they'll all just go away. There are some of you even in here who still debate whether India or Sri Lanka is actually better at cricket. I knew I'd find it. The Sri Lankans are a little sensitive around this and a little good. Or is Fiji actually better than Australia? At the Rugby Sevens. It's a miracle right now. We are in the same room. Sri Lankans and Indians and cricket all together. But we know where to skate around that. Don't talk about that, Pastor. You're meddling now. Yes, I am. Or if you're a Man U supporter or a Chelsea supporter... Nobody else in here cheers for the Seahawks, but because anything is better than the Patriots. 
It's a miracle right here this morning is what you're observing that nobody is, well, that guy was going to throw something, but sit down. It's okay. Then Jesus comes into the picture with a whole bunch of people who look at life differently, his disciples, men and women, rich and poor, people who had it all together, people who couldn't figure out which way was up, people who were cursing other people out on one hand and lifting their hands on the other. And Jesus said this in John chapter 13, and John is an eyewitness account of one of the followers of Jesus who kind of recorded the story of who Jesus was and how he interacted and how he moved in the world. And in John 13, it says this, a new command I give you, everything that's underlined, let's say that together, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There are lots of different ideas that are out there about ways to live life. There are lots of different wisdom, and you can, you can get on YouTube and find different ideas, and you can look at different philosophies. But I go back to Jesus because anybody who predicted their own death burial and resurrection, and then actually did it, I'm going to listen to him on what he has to say about life. It's not just a holy book, but a God who sees, hears, and answers, and is continually moving in the world, in Jesus. You see, Jesus said a new command. He said, this is not an option for how to live life. This is a new command. Somebody say command. This is the command, love one another. How many of us find that difficult from day to day, especially in your own home? As I have loved you, love one another. People will know you're my disciples, not if, not by what... Uh, if you have a fishy sticker on the back, by the way, while I have your attention, if you have a fishy sticker on the back, don't drive like a devil. Just, put, just saying it's out there, okay? Don't cut me off and then wave at me and bless me, Pastor, I bless you. That is, I don't need that character growth from you. Jesus is taking care of me. We're just having fun. Relax. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I have loved you. People will know you're my disciples. It's a new command. Love one another. It was so incredibly important. This is in the last address before the, the famous painting of the Last Supper. This is the last address of Jesus, and it goes on for a number of chapters where he outlines a new way of living for people. It's not, and he said it's a new command because an old command might be hate your enemies and love your neighbor. But Jesus says, love one another. He's, he loves, how does Jesus love? He loves unconditionally, not on whether you were nice to him that day or whether you were spitting in his face. He loves you. He loves us continually. He loves us sacrificially. He loves us when we are accepting him. He loves us when we're rejecting him. He loves us in every space, in every place. And so that's the context for the kind of love that not only changes us, it not only affects us, it, it affects and changes the way we relate to one another and actually begins to change your family. It begins to change your the way you relate in your college. It begins to change the way that you relate in your workplace. It begins to 
to change a city. It begins to change a nation. The power of the love of Jesus first transforms you so that it can then flow through you to change the world around you. So let's go a little deeper with who is the one another that Jesus shows you to love. He didn't put any qualifications on it. Love one another except Sri Lankan rugby players. Oh. See, I, I was going close, Cliffy, but I went a little, just a little off his side. He said, love those that love you and love those that hate you. He said, love the agnostic and the atheist. Love the liberal and the conservative. Some of you are like, you're going too far, pastor. <laughs> love Justin Trudeau and love Donald Trump. Hmm. Love every cultural group. Love every people group. Love every ethnic group. Love the people you agree with. Love the people that don't agree with you. Love the sinner. Love the saint. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor. Love the gay person. Love the straight person. Love one another. That's the call of the gospel of Jesus. It's a transforming gospel because it brings us into a space that is impossible for us to do. If you're a Christ follower, though, it changes everything. Let's believe God that there could be a people, maybe you need to hear this this morning, that the love of Jesus is reaching out to you, that the love of Jesus is calling out to you, that not only is it calling out to you, that it's calling through us, through Jesus, to us, to one another, that we could be repairers of breach, that we could be the restorer of, of cities that are in desolation, that we could be ones that rebuild walls of, and that's maybe a poor analogy right now, but let's rebuild walls of protection around our city, rebuild walls that, that keep the enemy out and, and allow the people to be protected and find a place where they can, where every one of us can find a place of acceptance, where every one of us can find a place of God's love transforming. Think about it. It's easy to focus on being different in the room and begin to believe that it must divide. But differences do not need to be division. They can just be different. I had to learn this when I got married, that different is not bad, it's just different. My wife has a particular family culture that she brings to the table that is just different. That's what I've learned to appreciate when I first got to know her I didn't appreciate it when I would wake up in the morning and as I wake up in the morning I'm a morning person any of you in the room you're like I'm here in church but I am barely here pastor no I am here and I would get up in the morning I would jump out of bed turn the shower on I'm singing in the shower I can't wait what am I going to have for breakfast today is going to be a great day and then my wife arises and gives me the look of, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't know what you're doing, but you just need to. And we would literally, we worked at the same place for a while. We would drive the whole morning. She's not talking to me or anything. And I'm like going through doing a spiritual inventory. Where did I do this? What did I do? Where did I say something stupid? And, which is usually a high probability, but not always. And I would be there and wondering and thinking, and we would just get pulled into the, the workplace, and she would turn to me and say, good morning. 
I don't know what just happened, but Jesus just came into the car. He moved on your heart. There's hope for the world right now. She just is not a morning person. It's just different. And I've learned to appreciate that and leave the room quickly in the morning without, <laughs> without turning on the light. I like crawl. Like There's no morning prayer in the room except Lord protect me right now as I move. Some of you are laughing because you all live with that. That is a big amen over here, but... So, the, clo <laughs> the closest way, the clearest evidence, the prove-it moment that if you're a follower of Jesus is not how big the building that you go to have church service in. It's not any of that. It's not how often you pray or raise your hands or any of those kind of things. It's actually if you love one another. That's a defining characteristic that Jesus said. To those who don't know Christ, when we love one another, it shows that God's at work. How a people that are so diverse, so many different perspectives on how to live life and, and how to move forward can live and not only be in the same room, but can pray for one another, can love one another, can sit down and eat together like we're going to in just a few moments. That's the clearest. And I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by this. Because not only as followers of Christ, not only that, as followers of Christ, there is also incredible things that happen when we live and work together as one another, not as just me. There's a few scriptures that are up on the screen. One in Genesis 11:6. it's about a time where a bunch of people were building a high tower, and it was amazing how fast it came together. And it says that the Lord said of them, if as one people they have a mind to work, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. The reason why is because they had a mind to work and they were in unity and working together as one another. Nothing will be impossible for them. What are we missing out on that's possible for us simply because we don't live and work together as one another as followers of Jesus? And I think there's a there, how good and how pleasant it is when we live together in unity. There the Lord bestows his blessing. There's blessing. And then there's a last scripture where the church had just been birthed. The church had just been started. Thousands of people come together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They read their Bible together. They supported one another financially. They were just there for each other together as one another. And it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because a church that knows how to one another well is still an attractive thing. We live in a time in our culture when hope is in low supply and in high demand and when a church can live this way, when a people can live this way, it actually is attractive, more attractive than the songs we sing, more attractive than how will we greet you at the at, at the parking lot or in or how well the food is cooked or any of that, but when we can come into a place where we are received and loved how we are in the moment. It's incredibly powerful and attractive because it speaks to that there's a spiritual dynamic at work because it's not usual in our world. I had a reality of a number of years ago. I can remember we don't always do this well. Shanda had a lady come up to her in a church that we were serving in and just said, I want you to know that I forgive you. Shanda said, for what? I thought we were okay. 
well, about a year and a half ago, you did something to me, and I've uh, kind of, well, had resentment and bitterness in my heart to you the whole time, but just to let you know, I forgive you. Oh, okay, I thought we were good there. I had another time where I've had, I've started in a new job, and some after a couple of days, someone wanted to meet with me, and I sat in my office, and the first thing they said is, I just want you to know that I don't like you. Said, I'm glad we're starting off with this such inspiring moment here. I feel like really good and connected, and I see that there's a bright future for us together. We don't always do it well, and I, you could all have your own story of how many of us have said something stupid or done something stupid relationally. If your hand's not up, you should have it up. Um, we have Sunday people versus Monday people where we're one way on Sunday and another way on Monday and Tuesday. But all through the Gospels, we read of churches learning to love God well and to love one another well. And it's a continually addressing of the reality of our spiritual life is proven in our personal relationships. In Colossians 3, where we're going to go uh, right now, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here, and then we'll be done. Just got to make sure. Colossians 3... Uh, Colossians is a book, a church, written to a church in an area which is now uh, Turkey. It's a local church. The writer's reminding them all through this book of their need uh, for, for Jesus as the only way for salvation. It's not going to be on works or on some physical things or how well you do this or how well you do that, but it's surrendering your life to Jesus. And they were trying to make it a whole bunch of other things. And they keep, he kept bringing them back to the reality of you need Jesus to help you in your life. You need Jesus to, uh, to restore you. You need to repent and make Jesus the leader of your life if you're going to have any hope of having a better life. It starts with surrendering your life to Jesus. And he said that again and again. And he comes to this chapter, chapter three, and he tells them, set your mind, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above. God wants to change the, our, our motivation. God wants to change the way we think. And it's possible because Jesus begins the journey and Jesus begins to change us from the inside out that helps us to love people who are unlovable, helps you to extend yourself beyond what you might by yourself. And he's reminding them all through these every, all through these verses, he says, it is possible for you, no matter where you're at, no matter what station in life you are, no matter how well you think you're doing, Jesus can transform your life. Jesus, whether you're a slave, whether you're free, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're from India, whether you're from Canada, whether you're from Australia, wherever you're from, there is hope for you because Jesus has the ability to transform our lives from the inside out. It's not a theory. It's not a behavior modification program. It's it's a life transformation program from the inside out as we surrender to Jesus. He's saying you don't have to be hateful any longer. You don't have to be angry any longer. You don't have to stay in your bitterness any longer. You don't have to stay in that sexual immorality any longer. You don't have to stay in your addiction to, to food or to pornography. None of that has to be the reality of your life anymore. But Jesus can come into and deal with your past so it stops bleeding into your present and, and controlling your future. That's what Jesus can do. He can free you from the thing that would hold us back, the sin that so easily entangles and Jesus cuts it off and says that there is a present life for you that I want to give to you. And not only that, that there is a future that I have prepared for you. There is a place that I have prepared for you. And as I surrender my life to him, anything becomes possible that he's created me for.
It's a gospel of hope. Greater is he that's within me than anything that's in the world. That God who works in me to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's not by my might. It's not by my power. But it is by the spirit of the Lord working in me. I desperately need the reality of Jesus. And if we're going to see our one another's look different, it starts there. But it doesn't end there. It starts there. There's a whole new possibility. I don't know about you. But I find that it's true that most of my one another issues stem from my own issues. But you know what I'm really way more comfortable doing? Helping you to fix your issue. Rather than me having to deal with my issue. No, there's nobody else like that. But if you know someone, we hope that Hey, I can generate a long list of, of to-dos for you to, so you can prove that you're changing and eventually you'll get there, but probably not initially. You offended me and I'm going to tell you how you excluded me, how you need to ask my forgiveness, how you can be nicer and all that kind of thing. But we miss out when we do that, when we put it out there instead of begin to deal in here. We miss out on a transforming truth and principle of the Bible, of Jesus, that you can move from being a victim to being a victor in life. It's this. If you're around me, you'll hear it again and again. Your response is your responsibility. Instead of saying what they did is determining my actions, I can begin to say what you did is what you did, and I'm going to respond differently. I can choose my reaction to your action. Because I'll tell you what, before I probably already have offended some of you right now, and you're going to have to learn and, and battle through that, or you can just say, Lord, I'm going to just release them to you because you'll have to do a better job. That's a piece of work up there. I don't know how it's going to be fixed, but God help him. My reaction is my responsibility. Your action is your responsibility. And I'm not going to take responsibility for somebody else's action. I am going to take responsibility for my action. And that's where Jesus always wants to begin. We want him to, Lord, change our nation. Jesus, do something in our city. And he's all back here saying, can we talk about the way that you just talked about your wife and your message? Because you're going to have to buy some new shoes for her before the end of the day. Because my, my son, like, you got to do better than that. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, 13, 14, and then we're going to Roll through a couple things and we'll be done. Therefore, everybody say, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. In other words, sometimes people are a pain. And it's true. Like, let's be real. It says bear with one another because sometimes people put a whole lot of stuff on you. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love. There's Jesus again. Love one another, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Compassion. We're going to talk about two things out of that list today. Compassion and kindness. Compassion. Compassion simply means a deep feeling about someone's difficulty or misfortune. It's also used of the deep feelings that God has for us. 
It's all through the Bible. Instead of giving us what we deserve, God gives us his compassion. God gives us his mercy. He gives us a chance to repent of our sin. He says that there's a new life that's possible for you. There's hope for your life. There's hope for what you're going through because Jesus has compassion on you. He has compassion on me. He has compassion on our city. He has compassion on the world. And we are undeserving recipients of God's grace. And as such, we should live in the same way. In the same way that we have been loved, we love. In the same way that we have received mercy, we give mercy. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. Therefore, be merciful. Be merciful, just as your Father also was merciful. So, the first place it starts is always an encounter with God for myself where I receive the mercy of God and then I give it to others. So compassion means that I really seek to understand where people are coming from. It can be really simple things. The other day, recently, Shanda was talking to me. She said, speaking of a particular appointment that we were going to, she says, I'm not looking forward to this. I'm upset about it. I don't like the timing of it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then I'm listening for a moment. She was trying to communicate what she was feeling. And in that moment, she was not looking for what she got, which was this. Why would you waste your time thinking like that? I'm a pretty black and white person. I said, it was me. Yes, it was me. I said, I think you need to get your attitude squared around. And come on, you're better than this. And the tone, the, 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 the spiritual atmosphere in the room shifted in not a positive way. That was not compassion on my part. That was a death wish. No, I'm just kidding. She would never do that. But that's, in that moment, she was looking for compassion and I gave coldness. Here's what you need to do. And it's not just me in the room that has ever done that. Can I get an amen? There's somebody lifting their husband's hand back there. Just like, I'm just kidding. The origin of the Latin word compassion helps us to understand. It means to suffer with. Compassion means somebody else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Someone else's suffering becomes your suffering. Compassion changes the way we live. It can be simple issues like I just talked about. At least it was simple to me. It was, com it was probably more complex to Shanda. But there are deeper issues. I, I grew up in the interior, and I did not realize that there was subtle racism in my heart towards indigenous people. Not because I was taught that way growing up in my family. In fact, I had two uh, indigenous friends, the Malloy boys, who I hung out with. But just growing up in a certain part of the province, I realized that it was there. A little bit of, little bit of it. But it all changed in 2001. And I remember sitting with some First Nations grandmothers and their adult children. These grandmothers had been ripped out of their homes when they were young children and forcibly put into residential schools, not by the permission or the wishes of their family or their parents, but because they were to not speak the language, they were to learn and be assimilated into what was Canadian culture. And when I heard the stories of what happened to them, what was a theory 
what were people became real to me and compassion began to well up in my heart because it's easy to judge somebody for doing something when you don't know their story. And as I sat there hearing of the abuse and sitting with victims and hearing their pain and feeling the hopelessness and hearing how they didn't know how to parent their kids because they weren't parented themselves because they were ripped out of their home and how broken, how much brokenness that that brought into the next generation. And suddenly I began, the penny began to drop in me. Craig, repent, repent. And look at people differently today. Because most of the time, I just thought, well, they have their issues. I began to understand the mistrust of the institutional church. And I, I, I would, didn't intend to go into this in this depth, but I, I think it might provide some context for what's happening in our culture right now. I began to understand the mistrust of the institutional church. I began to, un, under, mis, I began to understand the mistrust of governmental authorities. I began to understand the mistrust of even Caucasian people. I began to understand the struggle of building family and connectivity. I began to have compassion for the pain that they had experienced and continue to experience. Most of the time, the negative things that we do see are a reaction to something else that we don't see. It's easy to judge when you have half the story and you're looking at a snapshot in someone's life and you don't understand the movie of their life. A young girl named Holly, who and I worked in residential treatment program, she was 16 years old. She had already been a prostitute since she was 13 years old. She grew up in a family, she told me, because I asked her, she, she shared her story. She grew up in a family playing with little dolls, dreaming of a day where she would have a spouse and little children. She never dreamed of a day where she would be selling herself on the street. But one moment at 12 years old, in a park in Vancouver with a friend, someone offered her some drugs, and in a moment of weakness, she started, and in a very short time, she was addicted and sex trafficked. She never dreamed of that day, but her story was filled with pain. And sometimes our compassion level is based on our understanding of where someone's at. But could it be that we could look at people differently? You say, Craig, well, you're talking about big cultural issues and, and a, a prostitute and like I don't but let me put it this way it's too it's easy to judge the boss that cuts you off in a meeting but you don't see that maybe their wife said that morning it's over we're focused on us or it's easy to judge the cranky barista but we don't see that he just heard last night that his mother got a cancer diagnosis. Have you ever thought when you get offended that there might be something else going on in their life? It's easy to judge the lady that's always late, but we don't see that she has an alcoholic husband that means she's working and juggling two jobs while trying to take care of her kids. 
compassion. We must learn and understand and feel the why. It doesn't mean we approve of everyone's behavior. People always get weird about this. So if I have compassion on them, does that mean I approve of their behavior? Just go right in that moment and say, how can I help? Can I, can I, can I want to break where you break? I want to feel where you feel. I want to love where, where you feel unloved. I want to be part of the answer, not part of the point pointing of a finger, but the extending of a hand. It doesn't mean we approve of anyone's behavior. I may understand why a man assaults his wife because that's all he knew growing up, but it doesn't mean I approve of it. In fact, I would say to him, to the man beating his wife, stop it. And if you can't stop it, move out of the house and get the help that you need until you can. Do I have compassion? Yes. Do I want it to stop? Yes. Do I approve of that behavior? No. Separate them. Have compassion on the person. Doesn't mean we fail to address issues. Oh, we just have mercy. We sweep it under the rug. That's not what we're talking about. A guy stole my guitar once, and he had uh, he should not have been doing that. It was a guy I knew who stole it from me in church. And one of my friends found it at the pawn shop, and the guy had put his own name down that he had pawned it. And I made the and I told him, I forgive you. But he had had a lot of things that he had just been nicking by in life. But you need to answer for it in front of, the, in front of a judge. And I wrote a letter of support for him. I, but at the same time, he stood and faced the consequences of his actions. Doesn't mean we just brush things aside. But have you noticed that we tend to judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intention? Yeah, but I didn't really mean it that way. So why are you getting so angry? Our intention was always good, but we assume the intention of someone else is always bad. Compassion. Compassion says, because of how God has been merciful and compassionate to me, I can be merciful and compassionate to others. And then kindness over coldness. Kindness over coldness. Kindness just refers to meeting real needs. Compassion speaks to the attitude of our heart where kindness relates to the actions of our hands. Because it's easy to say, oh, I feel that. But Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. He says your compassion needs to move to action. Kindness, compassion is what we feel, where kindness is what we do. Jesus moves us on to practical action. In Luke chapter 6, 32, 3 and 5, he says this, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners or people who don't know me love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But he's saying, he again raises the bar. But let's read that together, verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Next level, next level, one another, next level, one another. Action of kindness in the face of unkindness. Are we focused on winning arguments or winning people? I want to win, win people. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but there have been many times I have an argument with someone, maybe in my head, those are the best kind, because you figure out everything 
and you win every time. Is that true? In your brain, you, re, you win. I sometimes come home, and my wife has already won that argument of the day that we started, and I had no conversation with her. I'm so focused on winning. If you ask me what I'm angry about, I've forgotten the thing that started it all. I'm just going to win. But the way of compassion, the way of kindness is, as Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Kindness always goes further than coldness. Someone said that you are never persuasive when you are abrasive. I want to be brutally honest. Why do we have to have the brutal part? Can we just be honest? No, I want to be brutal about it. I am going to make sure that you know how bad you were. Let's just be honest, not brutally honest. And with all the craziness of our world, this love one another actually has a transforming effect to it. See, Romans, one of the books of the Bible says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's not possible by ourselves. It's not our human nature to be kind in the face of unkindness. We need the help of heaven. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So it comes back to that, that again, that I need the work of God moving in me so that he can flow through me and touch the world around me. I want to make this super practical. Jordan, can you throw up that one list there? How compassion can move to kindness. Pick one of these. You don't have to do them all. Be patient with people's quirks. You know, quirky people, we, you think that they're the quirky ones? They're looking at you. You're the quirky one. We all got somebody quirky. What person has that irritating quirk that you can just be patient with? Help anyone around you who is hurting. There is somebody around you that is hurting. If you don't see it, you're either not looking or you need to expand your world. Look closer. Give people a second chance. How many of us have ever needed a second chance? How many of us have ever needed a 44th chance? Yeah. But we forget that somehow. Compassion moves to kindness when we do that. Do good to those who hurt you. Whoa. It's easy up to that point almost. But do good to those who hurt you. You have to look at that. Maybe you're suffering from an old wound that you haven't been able to let go of. Maybe this week, maybe today is your day to choose to forgive and to turn it around for good. Who's that person? Will you make maybe a phone call or a, send a text message or an email or a carrier pigeon or a smoke signal? Do something. Be kind to those who offend you. Who offends you besides me? Who offends you? Maybe it's a politician you can pray for instead of posting a meme about. Maybe it's a Facebook friend who has different views and says some pretty offensive things. How can you be intentional about showing kindness to that person? Build bridges of love to the unpopular. The person who spends their lunch break eating alone at college or doesn't seem to have any friends at the, at the soccer game or what specific thing could you do this week to move from compassion to kindness? Because it's all theory until we move into this space of it changing our behavior. And only Jesus has the ability to help us to change from the inside out. More than willpower, more than simply trying harder. It's a transformation of God himself living inside of you. And before we conclude, I want to circle around back to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
because I talked about that a little at the beginning and then talked about a lot about this. But it all starts at the beginning where when we say that Jesus loves sinners, that's all of us in the room. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we hated him, while we wanted nothing to do with him, he died for us. While we had nothing in us that would deserve, he came looking for us. Sometimes when we say that Jesus loves sinners, we're glad and we should be. And we all need God's love, mercy, and compassion. But do not make the mistake that Jesus simply overlooked our sin. He willingly went to the cross and paid the price for our sin to reconcile us to God. To the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, go and sin no more. To the man who was greedy, Jesus said, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Repent. See, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's the greatest act of love. We deserve death, but Jesus came to offer life. And the, the, the pathway to it is not great behavior, figuring it all out, being born in the right time. It's simply this, Jesus, I need you. Will you be the forgiver and leader of my life? Will you begin to restore me? Will you begin to break the things of my past that are controlling my present, that seem to have me on a path to determine my future? That Will you begin to transform me on the inside? so that my relationships can be different, that my family could be different, that my generations could be different, that out of the church could come a sound of one another that says, there's a place where you can be loved. There's a place where people accept you where you are and help you to step out of where you are, that love you in your worst time, that love you in your best time, that will walk with you. And it all starts with the very, very beginning. Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your goodness, I need your kindness, I need your transforming power. I invite you to stand to your feet and then we're going to dismiss in just a moment. Just to give privacy to the people around you. Just invite you to bow your head and close your eyes, nothing spooky other than privacy. But always, when we talk about Jesus and what he's done for us, we always want to give an opportunity for us to respond. So as we've talked about that Jesus is the one who forgives sins, that Jesus is the one who can transform your life, that Jesus is the one that can bring you into a bright and new future as he transforms you from the inside out, it starts with saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Will you forgive my sin and come and lead my life? With every head bowed and every eye closed for privacy around the room. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick and I want to pray with you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, all around the room. So I'm, I'm going to invite everyone to pray this. So uh, uh, repeat after me. Jesus, I invite you to forgive my sin and lead my life. Forgive me. I can't fix myself. I can't change myself. I need your help. Lord, your word says... If I confess my sins and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I'm saved. So if you prayed that prayer just now, you confessed and you believed in your heart that Jesus is your Savior, you have begun a journey. But let me say this, the Bible says that you have passed from death to life. 
that was in, what was impossible for you now becomes possible for you because Jesus comes and lives inside of you. But it's the first step in a journey. You can go to horizonfam.ca, click on, there's a button there that, that's, that's called sign up and just let us know you made that decision. Tell the person that you came with that you made that decision because this has begun the greatest day of your life. This is, this is life altering moment and here's the thing we clapped like kind of golfy clap right now but the bible says that the angels are rejoicing because of one lost one that's found their way back home that there has been a father who has been calling your name and you came in thinking you were here for for rice and some good curry and it's coming but right now jesus has been calling your name Wow. And you thought one thing and boom, here we go. Tell somebody that you came with that you made that decision. Hmm. That's why we do what we do. Babies crying and that's like a lot of spiritual babies were born right now. I think there's five, six, seven people, something like that. Now, with every head up, every eye open, how many of you say, Pastor, I just need continued help of God to do one another better? Lord Jesus, we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. Lord, we need your help, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us as individuals, as family, as a church. Lord, that we would live and model life differently. We acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. Forgive us where we've been less than compassionate. Forgive us where we've been unkind. Lord, help us to let go of offense and, and bitterness and shake it off and, and release it in forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're making us new in the strong name of Jesus and everyone said we hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church to find your next step visit horizonfam.ca have a great week